today on Ag News Daily. As a public servant, I got to tell you, I believe our role as government is to empower you, not to enable you. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Wednesday, September 7th edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Tanner Winterhoff. Tanner, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Just a busy morning, getting ready to head off to another meeting. But listeners want to remind you that today's broadcast is brought to you, brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize your yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Any big plans for your day, Delaney? Well, it's my birthday, so we're going out to dinner tonight. But aside from that, I have to work. Wah, wah. <laughs> it seems like that's by choice because aren't you your own boss? That's true. You're right. Well, I mean, when you have clients, there you kind of have lots of bosses. That's fair. That is very fair. I tell you what, the listeners that we have also might feel the same way about their landlords in the term of bosses. U.S. cropland cash rents hit an all-time high, according to the report from the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Services. For 2022, the national average for cash rent on cropland is $148 an acre. That's up $7 from last year and eclipsed the previous high in 2015 of 144 So Delaney, that doesn't sound like a very high number, but that is nationwide and that is across all cropland acres. To give you a little quiz here on your birthday, what do you think is the state that has the highest average per acre cash rent? I'm going to say Iowa or Illinois. No, Iowa at number four, Illinois at number five. The number one is Arizona at $336 an acre. California, number two at $331. And Hawaii at $271. Then comes Iowa at $256 and Illinois at $243. But I'm going to try and pull another fast one on you. Which state saw the largest increase in cash rent over 2021? Let me think. How about... I feel like it's not a common state that I would guess. I don't know. Correct. Go east. Nope. Go further east. Yep. New York. The top top four. So New York's number two. The top four, West Virginia, New York, Vermont, and New Jersey. Iowa comes in at number six on that list at 10%. The others were 12, 12, 11, and 11. So uh, not good news there for our listeners unless the revenue is there. Certainly, their cost for land has gone up. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely pretty significant, Tanner. So interesting. I like doing the trivia. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. Well, Tanner, I don't have any trivia for you, but I do have another news story here. Yesterday's weekly crop progress report was released on Tuesday due to the holiday weekend. And corn came in same as last week with 54% rated good to excellent. Uh, That is fairly steady with the previous week and a little bit below last year's rating, which was at 59% for this time of year. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, Tanner, but this is the sixth lowest rating going back to 2000. 
We saw pretty large declines in North Dakota and Pennsylvania, as well as Tennessee and some smaller gains in other states. So all in all, that kept crop condition ratings the same for corn. And on soybeans, we saw 57% rated good to excellent, also unchanged from the week prior, Tanner. Yes, and uh, of course, we've been paying attention to the crop development side, which is still behind the five-year average for both corn and soybeans. So it'll be interesting to see lots of talks about an early harvest, but if we are still running behind trended average for uh, the development of these crops, I don't think harvest is going to get here any sooner than we would usually see it. I want to hit a couple of articles in a row, Delaney, on... Uh, financial news, but pausing here real quick to share a message with our listeners that for more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yield with the help of SB1 Classic. As fertilizer costs are soaring and supply chain challenges are looming, DPH Biologics is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer through the conventional farmers' acres with TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer Growers can now replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com to reclaim your soil fertility. So Delaney, we've talked a lot about what the Fed's decisions have been to try and rein in inflation. Uh, More articles are coming out here just ahead of the Fed's meeting this month, stating that the Fed's decision to continue to raise rates will push us into a growth recession That will hopefully rein in inflation, but it's bad for job seekers. The chances for an ideal economic soft landing have faded. The Fed's words are now pushing for a growth recession. These are used in italics. The phrase describes a period of below average growth, rising unemployment, and slowing inflation. Historically, this has only been used twice in the past, but Chair Powell has stated this will bring pain. Letting inflation stay high would be worse. So recession talks, uh, again, hit politicians, a lot of conversations. Congressional Republicans are blaming the Democrats for the recession, and the Democrats are responding, what recession? But both parties have a point. The traditional back-of-the-envelope definition, two successive quarters of negative gross domestic product, means we're in a recession. That would be advantage to Republicans. But it doesn't feel like a recession, Delaney. The economy keeps generating hundreds of thousands of new jobs every month. The unemployment rate is only 3.7%. And nonprofit organization that calls recessions, the National Bureau of Economic Research, hasn't called this one yet. So that's advantage to Democrats. It just seems interesting as we get into this, Delaney, even though Powell, during that conversation, did not use the word recession, he said very close terminology, such as reducing inflation is likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth. Moreover, we are likely to see some softening, Delaney, up ahead in our labor market. So Delaney, that leads right into the Dow falling again over the weekend. So it fell nearly 200 points as investors are bracing for those higher rates coming up. So trading yesterday had sharp losses at the end, although it opened up after the Labor Day weekend. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down a half percent, nearly 200 points. The S&P 500 lost four-tenths, and the tech-heavy NASDAQ dropped seven-hundredths. The markets initially opened higher, like I said. 
the U.S. services sector is growing at a faster rate than expected in August, which is good news. But combined with stronger than expected jobs reports from last Friday, solid economic data has now led investors to bet that the Federal Reserve will hike rates even more aggressively than initially planned and possibly for a longer period of time. So not good news if you have money borrowed on a variable rate, Delaney. Interesting. I was just talking actually yesterday with a financial advisor about that very subject, Tanner. Yep. It's going to be one that is going to take front and center of a lot of financial conversations. Well, Tanner, another thing that's taking front and center conversation, especially here on our podcast, has been the energy crisis looming in Europe. And we got some news that Russia's biggest natural gas pipeline to Europe will not resume pumping until the German-based Siemens Energy repairs what they're saying is faulty equipment. This came from a high-level executive at Gazprom and is during a time when the EU is facing the worst energy crisis since World War II, Tanner. That's, I thought that was just insane. And also an interesting uh, accusation to blame it on faulty equipment when we know they've really been trying to find any excuse they can to quit pumping natural gas to the EU. Right. And to pin it on another country, not faulty equipment of their own, but that equipment of another country. Well, Delaney, the last piece of news that I have to share with listeners today is about a insurance fraud case coming out of Nebraska. So Nebraska farmer was sentenced last week by a federal judge to pay back a million dollars in restitution for filing, filing false crop insurance claims. Ross Nelson, 48, of Newman Grove, Nebraska, pled guilty back in June at the U.S. District Court of Nebraska to knowingly making a false statement to insurance companies backed by the FCIC. He was indicted by a grand jury in September of 2021 following the investigation into charges that Nelson had underreported his crop and soybean, corn crop and soybean crop production in 2015. Under the plea, Nelson agreed to pay a million dollars in restitution and was sentenced to four years of probation, as well as 16 weekends in jail. The fine also tacked on the end of this was 30 grand for that time and cost and expense. According to court records, Nelson had filed a claim in 2015 that his soybean fields in Holt County, Nebraska, produced only 25,000 bushels of soybeans. He received an indemnity check for $700,000. He also submitted a claim on his corn crop. Due to inconsistencies with this claim compared to neighboring farms, the RMA, or Risk Management Agency, initiated the investigation. In May 2016, RMA discovered nine undisclosed storage bins containing over 80,000 bushels of corn beyond Nelson's certified production worksheets for his corn production, as well as more than 26,000 bushels of soybeans. He admitted the crops were his, according to court documents. So you can't get away with things, Delaney. They're always watching. It's just crazy, too, how many more of these cases we've been seeing here over the last maybe five to ten years, Tanner. It is. Yeah. And uh, I think they're continuing to try and make it a feature or a point to keep others from doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder a little bit, though, do you think it's because we've had this growth of you know, social media slash online presence, or is it actually farmers are doing more uh, fraudulent things? I mean, when you look at the dates of the cases, you're looking at 2012 to 2016. I think it's a combination of the technology didn't exist for monitoring prior to that. 
and now they have algorithms and AI to identify, like they said here, a difference in this farmer and his neighbors in the county versus that's just how long it takes to conduct a government investigation. So that, that'd be my guess is it's probably technology on the checks and balances side of it. Well, that certainly is a good point you make there, Tanner. And I've got one final piece of news here before we hop into chat markets, and that is soybean exports. We saw for the month of August, China imported 7.16 million metric tons or 263 million bushels of soybeans, according to their custom data, which is the lowest total that we've seen since 2015, Tanner. This is a little bit surprising because we have seen continued exports from the U.S. to China, which has certainly kept markets supported during this time of year. But also was reading some commentary this morning that shared China's basically got all of their soybean purchases covered for the month of September. They're working now to fill October and November. And then after that, we could see this train really slow down as they watch to see what's going to come online from Brazil and Argentina. So could be the end of the export train for the U.S. here, or at least the major uh, exports that we have been seeing up until this point. Yeah, I saw a headline this morning that said that China was experiencing a record low flights, international flights. Mm -hmm. So they're disconnecting themselves from the rest of the world, whether that's due to quarantine or due to other policy. But just a reminder, listeners, for more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased their yields with the help of SP1 Classic. And now as fertilizer costs are soaring, and supply chain challenges looming, DPH Biologics is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer to you on your conventional acres. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of your starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. What do the markets look like? Delaney, wheat seemed to be on fire out of the gates this morning. It really has. And it's been pulling, uh, trying to pull other markets up with it. Corn somewhat, soybeans, not so much following the trend in old crop, but new crop certainly is. New crop soybeans up about 15 cents here at the open, trading at 14.13. New crop corn up nine and a half cents at 6.85. And like you said, their wheat really having some explosive moves this morning as the September, excuse me, as the December contract is up about 47 and a half cents on the morning at 8.64. Now, taking a look at the livestock markets, we're seeing a little bit of mixed trade here this morning as October live cattle are down about 10 cents on the morning at a buck 44.95. October feeders down a dollar 40 at 184.70 and October lean hogs are up about a dollar and a half at 92.67 and a half tanner. Hey, there you go. Now I believe we get to share with our listeners another conversation that we had at the Farm Progress show last week. Let's jump into that. Farm Progress Show Day 1. What a beautiful day we've got sitting here. Proud to have a conversation here with Doug Goring, the North Dakota Ag Commissioner. And this is a position that you've held for 14 years and counting, correct? Correct. So what brings you to Farm Progress 2020? Two. Well, been here a few times. Yeah. Have enjoyed it, loved it. Here with some of my colleagues, where you get an opportunity to... uh, 
meet up with some of the agribusiness companies. We get an un, we get a better understanding and appreciation uh-huh. for some of the technologies, some of uh, oh the new equipment, the designs, some of what we're doing in precision agriculture, all the company's investments. Uh, you get a chance to uh, mix and mingle a little bit with some of our farmer ranchers out there and, and get a feel and a, a thought of, of what they're seeing and what we're seeing and how we can bring that back, how can we promote it, what can we do. So in your role, obviously you've got 14 years of experience. Do you find those conversations valuable to what you do in the office? Absolutely. I, I do farm and ranch too, but this is an opportunity. You need someone else's perspective. If you ever think you're doing it right, you better ask somebody else first. <laughs> That's very fair. I would say in agriculture, that is a very fair statement. So uh, I'm glad that you informed me that this is an elected role and that uh, it's one of those that you're working for the farmers in the state of North Dakota. So how how often do you mingle with the people that you're walking around with, the other commissioners from the other states? We get a chance to get together maybe two or three times a year, uh, more on a formal level. Okay. But then we get a chance like at these types of uh, opportunities where we're maybe we run into each other at some national meeting or some regional right. meeting. So maybe you can add a couple more times, but it is valuable. Mm-hmm. And you have an opportunity also during that entire year to reach out touch base with them on some new policies, some new issues. There's generally some correspondence. I mean, we seem like we're in a uh, self-defense mode because we're constantly getting attacked by activists, environmentalists, by the government. I mean, whether you're talking EPA, FDA, it seems like you're always having to plot and plan what is our next step and response to those that want to put this country in a very awkward, food-insecure situation. Yeah, it's interesting on the Ag News Daily podcast, we report the news as it relates to ag events, the political environment, the world trade. I mean, it sounds like through a couple of your past president's roles in other organizations that you've got a good pulse on trade. So what were those roles that you held office on, and how did you – get to dive into trade and those types of uh, conversations. So I did serve uh, on a couple different occasions as president of Food Export Midwest, which does represent 13 states in central part of North Dakota, in the central part of the United States. And you're not there promoting food and agriculture for your state. You're there promoting it for everyone. And it's really trying to create some inroads for our food companies throughout that global market to expand our footprint. One thing I'll tell you about the global market, they love our products. They, we're, we're not cost per, or, uh, competitive, but when it comes to safe, abundant, quality, the quality yep. it's there. The other thing they love about us is rule of law. They know that if they do business with us, Chances are we're going to follow through. Sure. There's a rule of law that, that is applied. Now, that's a little different in their countries. I have gotten some pushback, though, in the last couple of years from some countries that are afraid of what's been taking place in our nation with some of the riots, with some of the cities that were under protest and then, you know, under someone else's occupation. Yeah. And they weren't being dealt with. They said, are you a safe country to do business with anymore? That caught my attention. Yeah, I didn't expect that to come out of this conversation. And now that you pointed out, 
it's not something that we're historically used to reporting on or hearing. Yeah. But unfortunately, has has been part of uh, of the past, the most recent history. So as we approach midterm elections this year, why is it important for ag voters, for those in agriculture, to get to the polls and and get their opinion and their their vote heard? It's really important because if we're going to set the tone and set the direction, we need to be engaged. And too often we're now seeing Washington, and we're definitely seeing it with, within some of the bureaucracies, where they're trying to create dependency. And as a public servant, i got to tell you, I believe our role as government is to empower you, not to enable you. And we're seeing way too much enabling going on. And it's taking that money out of other people's pocket, putting it in places where we're not necessarily sure or Quite frankly, we are sure in some cases it's not doing our culture or our people any good. And it's putting us more dependent on the government to step in and take care of us. And quite frankly, we can't be there. We can't do that. We have to make sure that we're food secure, we're economically secure, we're nationally secure. Those things, and energy secure, that puts us in a position where we're strong enough to go out, do business, and maintain that culture and that value system here within our country. You know, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because as you saw my eyes light up, just you hit a lot of levels of security that are important, and especially when it comes to food. I've done a lot of interviews, and, and the FDA plays a very pivotal role in food safety. And all the other appointments that are made in, in government that are there to keep everything secure as far as our export relationships to the quality of products, the genetics that we can offer, and those trade relationships that are ever so important. So in your role in North Dakota, how do you feel that as one state, one ag commissioner, you can make a difference? Well, first got to start at home, (laughs) and i got to start locally. i got to start... Within my own state, you have to build that trust. You got to build that rapport. You got to build relationships in, in other states across the border. And you also then need to be working a lot with your colleagues in this business because together, I would say we're very non, partisan non-political. We're about getting the, the issues resolved and addressed. So when we show up together, we're solutions oriented. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners that are hearing this message, as we get into midterms, or they just want to learn more about who you are and what your farm's like, is there a good way for people to look you up? Well, there is. They can go to DougGoring.com or they can go to North Dakota Agriculture and, uh, or ND.ag yeah. and uh, you'll find us there. Hey, we appreciate you stopping by and jumping on the mics. I know you've had a busy day already and you've got a busy schedule ahead of you. So thanks again, Doug, for joining us. Tanner, this was great. Thank you. Well, that was a short conversation, Delaney, but I think it shows you the passion that is in even in political office when it surrounds agricultural issues. Uh, certainly another a good reason just to share with our listeners because midterm elections are coming up. Whether your decision matches your neighbors, it's still important to get out and vote. It certainly is, Tanner, and crazy to think we're going to be starting the presidential campaign stuff here, especially in Iowa, I'm guessing within the next couple of months. Yeah, it'll be uh, quite interesting to continue to keep pace, and 
I don't know. Well, do we need to flood Agnews Daily with political updates? Uh, I'm no, sure I think the I'm good. Hit. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I think we save this for to be a safe space where people can come to get away from all that. Hey, there you go. Well, what do you say? It's been a safe day, so should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 